Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism Episode 200 Turning the Microphone Around For this 200th anniversary edition, the microphone is turned around on me, and guest host Rohan Gunatilika speaks with me about the history, present, and future of Buddhist Geeks. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. This is a special Buddhist Geeks episode, and the reason it's a special one is because it's the 200th episode. My name's Rohan Gunatilika. I'm a UK-based blogger at 21awake.com. And the reason I'm in the hosting chair today is that the person we're interviewing is none other than Vince Horn, the co-founder of Buddhist Geeks and regular host. Hi, Vince. Hey, I thought the reason you're going to be interviewing is because you're probably going to be a better interviewer than me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Vince. Welcome to Buddhist Geeks. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be here. And I was just reflecting before we started this interview that a lot of Buddhist practice and a lot of sort of meditation practice, a lot of it is sort of taking what is the subject and making it object. So in a way, we're taking the interviewer and making him into the interviewee. So there's sort of like a nice Buddhist symmetry about this. Oh, yeah, totally. A lot of traditions use the metaphor of the camera looking at itself or the camera turning around to look at itself. So hopefully in this episode, the microphone will turn around to listen to itself. Oh, cool. So does this feel weird yet or not? No, not yet. Great. So um, readers of the Buddhist Geeks digital magazine would have seen that a couple of months ago, we invited questions for this interview, which anyone could submit either through the website or through Twitter. And we got a really good response. And so I'll be dropping them in along the way, if you don't mind, Vince. Yeah, great. So here we are, four years into the Buddhist Geeks journey, and you've clocked up 200 podcasts. Just hearing that it is episode 200, how does that feel? What comes to mind? I was reflecting on that question over breakfast. One response was, it's really been 200? And then the other response was, I just feel like I'm getting started with Buddhist geeks. (laughs) And so it feels like just having gotten started maybe a few months ago. So it was kind of a mixed response. Well, that's great. So it still retains its freshness in a sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And maybe it's just because of what you were saying that because I'm so in it, I don't really have a chance that often to step back and reflect on it. So in that sense, it's weird to think in those terms. Okay, great. So I look forward to doing a bit of that. And um, when you do your own interviews, the normal interviews, you typically start with inviting the guest to give a quick summary of their own story, if you like, or... Mm -hmm how they got into Buddhism and, and so on. So I was just wondering whether you'd like to give a quick spiritual resume, if you like, of your sort of story up to the beginning of Buddhist Geeks. Yeah, well, it started all back before the Big Bang. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, totally. Yeah, what are the salient pieces? I was introduced to meditation really early, like 10 or 11, I think. I did a little bit of meditation with my aunt, Janan, who was teaching this kind of new age style of meditation. I wouldn't say like I went deep or anything, but it definitely triggered something in me or, or woke me up to this whole internal world that I'd never seen before. I quit doing that, you know, after a year or so. And 
you know, went into the full angst of teenagehood and stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> was reintroduced to meditation in my second year in college and found it by way of a spiritual teacher in the West named Richard Rose. And he was this sort of self-enlightened West Virginian farmer in the 70s who had a commune on his farm. And a bunch of Westerners were attracted to him, and he would talk openly about enlightenment and how he got there. Of course, he wouldn't say that there was a place, but just that it was a, an unfolding recognition of something deep. And when I heard him talking about that, it really triggered something in me again, kind of catalyzed the seeking. I kind of think about it as the enlightenment bug, like I caught the bug and I knew that that's what I needed or what I'd been looking for that would answer some of my questions somehow. So that got me into Buddhist meditation pretty soon after because I wanted an actual system that helped me get to where I was trying to go. Of course, at that time I was conceiving of it as a place (laughs) or an experience. And then, you know, just very quickly found the insight meditation tradition. I did a retreat in 2003 with Joseph Goldstein and a few other teachers at IMS, Insight Meditation Society. And they had just gotten off of a retreat themselves with this old Burmese master named Sayada Upandita. They had oh, just, of course. Yeah, yeah. They'd just done six weeks with him at the new Forest Refuge, which was a silent retreat facility. And so they were really hardcore right off the bat. They were saying, you know, do noting meditation from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. If you're not done meditating at 10 o'clock, continue to meditate up into the wee hours of the night. They were really hardcore. So that just spiraled me into this sort of course of study and practice in the Buddhist tradition, particularly in the Theravada tradition. And I ended up spending several years and several months on retreat during those years practicing with a lot of the different Western teachers, Jack Cornfield being one of the most notable and influential. And then during that time, I started Buddhist Geeks. So both have been happening simultaneously. Great. And I think they're two stories that we really want to sort of explore, the sort of the development of Buddhist Geeks itself and also how you've developed in your own practice. And if you don't mind, I think I'll just start with some of the Twitter questions, actually. There are quite a few good questions came through, and I thought people are very interested in particular aspects of Buddhist geeks and thought I'd share with a couple of those. Nice. And the first one comes from Hannah, who really appreciates how Buddhist geeks is non-denominational and is interested in whether that was always the intention and how important is that to you as a curator, if you like, of the project? Mm. It was definitely always the intention. And I think we were, in the beginning, Ryan Olke, Gwen Bell and myself, all the founders, we were sort of modeling it off of the Buddhist magazines, Tricycle, Shambhala Sun, and sort of noticing how they would bring in different denominations and even having dialogues within them. And so we were modeling it after that, which we really liked. So it's always been the intention to be non-denominational, but I would say in the last maybe year or so, it's shifted a little towards not just non-denominational, but also trying to go post-traditional, <laughs> trying to actually sure. see something which is not just looking at all the different ones, but actually asking the question, is there something that's emerging that's beyond the traditions, but common to them at the same time? That's really exciting. I think that sort of touches upon, I want to ask you later around your ideas around where Buddhism is going. And, and I think this whole sense of moving past denomination seems really important in the West. The next question is from Hokai, old friend of the show. Hokai asks whether there have been any particularly challenging or enjoyable moments during interviews or interviews themselves which come to mind. 
<laughs> during the during the two hundred the one hundred ninety nine mm-hmm. interviews that mm-hmm. you've been involved with. Well, it's funny that he would ask since I've interviewed him a couple times. <laughs> And I'd have to say that some of the most enjoyable and challenging moments have come in interviews with Hokai. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. There have been both in a lot of these interviews. I think, you know, some of the most enjoyable ones have come from talking to people that I actually already have a relationship with or already have some rapport with. You know, I kind of know where they're coming from. Hokai comes to mind, Tammy Simon, Daniel Ingram, a lot of people that I really know pretty well. And those have been really fun and enjoyable and touching interviews. And then there are some interviews that haven't aired on Buddhist Geeks. And I've never told any, you know, one publicly about them. But oh, the, the, the hidden tapes. <laughs> the hidden tapes. There have been ones that were, they didn't go very well. And I decided it wouldn't be good to air them on Buddhist Geeks. So I'm not going to name any names, obviously. But uh, let's just say there have been interviews that just didn't work. And so those were challenging, for sure. Wow, so there's an album of B-sides coming out. <laughs> yeah. In a few years' time, maybe. <laughs> maybe. The most popular question that came through on Twitter was actually, so Tanya, Nate, and C for Chaos all asked the same question, which was, if you could interview anyone you've not had the chance to yet, who would that be? Mm. You've obviously been through a really broad range of teachers and practitioners and scholars and people from all sorts of disciplines. Who's on your hit list that you haven't had the chance to speak to yet? Well, interestingly, I'd say the top person is actually one of my teachers, Jack Cornfield. And it's weird because I know I could interview him. It's just been an issue of timing and also that I keep seeing new material come out, new interviews with him. And I want to make sure I'm asking him some questions that are fresh and that are new. And he's been asked so many different questions that I keep having to put it off because I keep waiting to come up with, you know, the most fresh questions. (laughs) And um, how do you actually prepare for an interview? Do you do a lot of reading about the person that you're speaking to? Or how, how does that process work with the sort of preparation Yeah, sometimes I've already got a few really big questions just from my own explorations outside of the show. Like I'll pick up a book and be reading it for my own purposes and then go, wow, it'd be really interesting to interview this person. For example, I interviewed Kevin Kelly recently and I was reading his new book, What Technology Wants, and I was thinking, actually, he's not a Buddhist, but it would be amazing to interview him on some of these topics for Buddhist geeks. So that's often how it starts. Then there are other people I've never heard of, but Maybe people have emailed and said, hey, you really should check out so-and-so. And And it sounds interesting, so I'll go check out more. Not just reading, though. A lot of times seeing videos of people or hearing interviews gives me a much better sense of what they're going to talk about and how they're going to talk about it and to get a sense if they'd be good on the mic, so to speak. So it's usually a combination of those different things. So something I've always wanted to ask you, Vince, was about the technical geeky behind the podcast itself. Mm-hmm. obviously you get in touch with speakers and then you have the conversation but then what happens next and if you can maybe get under the bonnet of buddhist geeks and tell us a bit about how it works in practice yeah sure so yeah like you're saying there's a pre-production process of researching and getting in touch with people scheduling it then there's the actual interview 
where I tell them, hey, look, this is a podcast. If you mess up, if I mess up, I can just edit it out. So I'll make us both sound intelligent. And then after that, I do just that. I take the raw interview and then at that point start to edit it. I'll take out the beginnings and ends where we're just chatting with one another and then take out all the parts where I go, um, or like, you know, those different speech patterns that make me sound ridiculous. And I'll do that for both the author and me so that it flows more smoothly. And at the end of that, I have the finished content edit is what it's called. And I'll send that off to our technical editor and he makes the sound even better. He'll equalize it and make it just sound really polished and well done. He inserts the voiceover in there and the music and the advertisements and all that stuff. At that point, he delivers the final file to me and I upload it to the website. I give it a title, little description. This week we speak with so-and-so and then it gets scheduled and published and that's pretty much how it goes. Okay, great. Thanks, Vince. Mm-hmm. And if you don't mind sort of slightly shifting the conversation into, we've heard a bit about sort of Buddhist Geeks, the project, but now to get a sense of how the process has been for you personally, because a question came up from Dennis and Ona Kaiser about how, because you've met so many great teachers and through the conversations have had to explore lots of different areas, like you've said, mm-hmm. how has that experience affected your own practice and understanding? Well... It's interesting because my practice has affected Buddhist geeks and what topics I explore, and my personal interests have affected that. And at the same time, Buddhist geeks has affected my personal interests and my practice. So they're kind of mutually, how would I use a geeky Buddhist term, codependent or something? Like <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've definitely noticed as I look over the course of the interviews I've done on Buddhist Geeks that in some ways it's almost tracking my own personal process of the types of things I'm interested in, the perspectives I find valuable. Suddenly I'm into shamatha, then I'm into dream yoga, then I'm into psychology, then I'm into technology. In some ways, I feel like when people listen to Buddhist Geeks, they in some ways have to be going kind of on a journey with me through time. And I wonder sometimes if that's why people find so much value, because many people email me and say, hey, I started from the beginning and I'm working my way up through all 199, 200 episodes. And I think, that's crazy. And yet they seem to be getting some value out of it. And I wonder if it's because in part of that personal journey quality that I've been going through just by doing this project. And now in the last, is it in the last year you've become a teacher yourself? Yeah. Um, as you've moved from or in, begun to include teaching as well into your, the way you relate to the practice and to the teaching, how's Buddhist Geeks affected your teaching style? And what, in fact, is your teaching style? Is it, would you say it's distinctive or in any way, given that you're sort of in the younger generation of teachers? Or if I were to turn up to one of your classes, what would I expect? Well, I mean, in some ways, you know, because I'm just starting and new as a teacher, I think I'm still finding that unique style or finding my style. But I will say that, yeah, I bring in so far, I've brought in a lot of the things I've learned from doing Buddhist Geeks into my teaching. It's an amazing resource, actually, as a teacher to be able to pull from all these different conversations and perspectives. And I've sort of internalized them, I think, just because I've had to prepare so much for the interviews that it really, it stuck with me because I was so involved. And so I can kind of pull from some of those resources. And then, of course, you know, in terms of the teaching, I'm teaching in the Insight Meditation tradition. So it's going to be heavily flavored by that too. You know, as a listener, you may not hear that coming through as much 
in my Buddhist Geeks interviews, I try to reach out to different traditions, not just the insight tradition. So that would probably be like a, a unique thing that's separate from Buddhist Geeks, I guess. Doing Buddhist Geeks has definitely prepared me to teach in a way that I wasn't expecting. One thing I noticed is as soon as I got up in front of a group, I thought I was going to be completely freaking out and nervous and not able to speak clearly. And I found that all the practice of interviewing and speaking with people on the air actually translated to public speaking. So it really helped in that way. I felt more comfortable just stepping into that role, I guess, because of that. Great. So you think all emerging teachers should do a 200 <laughs> episode podcast series? It might give them some practice, I guess, but I, <laughs> not intentionally, no, I wouldn't suggest it. But um, how about we switch gears a bit and talk about, we've had some interesting questions around, if you like, uh, Western Buddhism or how the Dharma's emerging and evolving nice. in the West, because Buddhist Geeks is, seems to be really in a really interesting position with regards to its viewpoint because it's been looking across all the different traditions and the different trends. You've got a really good overview of all those things. And so what I'm really interested in what you feel is most exciting about what we're seeing. I'm seeing now that the most exciting piece for me is this convergence piece of all of these really powerful trends in Western culture. For instance, technology philosophy, culture, science, all these really big trends that they're connected to the East as well, obviously, but they found a more clear expression, I guess, in the Western cultures. They're sort of converging with this amazing depth of interior science and contemplation and ethics and deep clarity about what the nature of reality is, the nature of the mind, all these amazing qualities that can be cultivated and tapped into as human beings, these states of incredible well-being and sanity. And so to see those two converging, they've been converging now to see what emerges from that convergence, I think is the piece that I'm most excited about. And it takes a lot of different forms because it's such a complicated convergence, but just what's coming from that in different teachers and different thinkers and different arenas, like business, etc. It's pretty amazing. And that's what I'm most excited about exploring. I think that's exactly right in that it's the confluence of all these things coming together and coming together with the maturity of not only the science around meditation and Buddhism, Buddhist practice, but also the position and the esteem it now has in culture. The fact that you can meet all these different trends in a sort of peer-to-peer way rather than in a sort of rather dissonant way. But as with many of these sort of collisions or comings together, there's often the negative side of that. So I was wondering what the the flip side of the question is. What do you see is most worrying about the emerging Buddhism in the West? Mm, Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a great question. I guess the way I would answer it is just to say that as I've studied Buddhism and been in different spiritual circles and interviewed people, one thing I've noticed is that Buddhism in the West can have a very anti-life, anti-technology, anti-mainstream tendency in some cases, where it's almost as if Buddhist culture is antithetical to mainstream culture in some ways. And I think this may come out of the ethos of the hippies and countercultural movements that were happening when Buddhism was transplanted here. But I do get a little concerned about that sometimes, because I feel like if we cut ourselves off as Western Buddhists a little too much from mainstream, we won't really be able to be part of the conversation 
as it goes forward. And I think a lot of teachers and a lot of people are doing a great job of being part of the conversation, but there's still this little bit of anti-mainstream sentiment that concerns me a little bit because I feel like the vision of non-duality is so radically inclusive that it needs to be able to include everything, including things that normally would irritate and piss us off, like big, huge corporations that are doing some crappy stuff in the world. Personally, I very much agree with you that there's a lot of opportunity in the way different parts of society are converging. Just from my own basis that while I really sort of celebrate that convergence and that fluidity, if you like, part of me is worried about almost the integrity of Buddhism itself and how it can maintain its authenticness. Because I've got a very sort of deep love for the tradition and maybe some of the form around the tradition. And what we're seeing in the convergence is very much the essence being shown, but some of the wrapping paper slightly dissolving away. And I just I was interested to ask you about that and whether you think it's actually important that the sort of Buddhism with the sort of capital B and the, the forms of that maintain their integrity in this new, more fluid landscape. Yeah, I don't really know, but it's a question that I've been pondering a lot too lately. Sometimes when I think about it philosophically, I think you know, it's a question of the difference between the form and the essence. Or that's the way you know, you're framing it, and then many people often frame it, is what's the essence, the essentialness, what's the form that, that can be changed and altered without getting rid of the essence. And I sometimes think that this question itself is a result of a type of modern philosophy and modern thinking that to be able to separate those things isn't something I've ever seen done in the Buddhist tradition itself in the text, at least in the Theravada text. I've never seen the Buddha talk about here's the essence and here's the kind of the form. Maybe he talks about it in some ways, but it seems like this is a new question even to be asking. And it does bring up a lot of interesting tangents to explore. And I get it would be weird if we lost something really important and valuable because we weren't really in touch with why it was important and valuable. So it seems like that's where the beauty of tradition comes in, is that it's got so much information embedded in it as to what works. But then, of course, when you transplant that to a completely new context, what works before may not work now. So yeah, it just seems like there's this dynamic tension between what's come before and what's emerging now. And I think you're totally right. There's a concern about disconnecting from the incredible power. When I interviewed Judith Summer Brown, she talked about the lineage of blessings that comes from being tapped into a wisdom tradition or wisdom lineage. And there's something to that. I don't know what it is, but you're right on, I think. Yeah, and I like your phrase of dynamic tension, because I think, in my experience, the most exciting things come out of dynamic tension, Mm. because that dynamic tension is a creative force in itself. There's always a concern, if we look backwards to wanting to hold on too much to pre-existing forms. I think yes. we have to, to some extent, trust ourselves. Mm. So that moves us, Vince, really nicely into looking at the future of Buddhist Geeks itself, because I'm really interested to see how, in a way, there's been the first turning of the Buddhist Geeks wheel with the podcast, the second turning with the digital magazine, which you launched last year. Just wondering what's next on the horizon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cool that you think of those as turnings. <laughs> I just use some old-fashioned metaphors. So where, where do you see this whole thing going? Yeah, good question. There's been one shift lately that's 
I think, interesting. And that's, in the beginning, we were thinking of Buddhist geeks as the tagline was seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Lately, it became clear that the tagline actually should be discovering the emerging face of Buddhism. And that shift to me speaks a lot to the thing we were just talking about, which is this move from tradition out or from what's come before to the future. And I see Buddhist geeks now as looking more toward the future as opposed to toward the past. And with that, I mean, there are obviously projects that I'm interested in and passionate about and I think could be good for the community and could, of course, be good for Buddhist geeks as a company. And one of the big ones, which we announced earlier this month, is the first Buddhist geeks conference. And this will actually be the first time that Buddhist geeks have gotten together in a physical location, besides just sort of meeting randomly, but more into an actual physical space. And, you know, with your help, with Hokai's help, with Emily Horn's help, we've been sort of designing this conference to be kind of more like a tech conference than a traditional Buddhist conference. So we're trying to incorporate a lot of the types of practices that you'd find in a technology conference, like the self-organizing unconference aspect where the participants actually help design and create certain aspects of the program. At the same time, we're trying to bring in these really amazing wisdom holders, these teachers and just phenomenal people to share their wisdom with the group so that there'd be this sort of top-down and bottom-up flow of information. And I'm hoping, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm hoping that the connections that come from that, that the ideas that are generated from that will yield some interesting projects, collaborations, and that Buddhist geeks can actually serve as a kind of connector, not only for people finding out ideas from other teachers or perspectives, but also from one another. It feels like the right move in terms of even greater connection and even more impact, hopefully, on the larger world, I guess. I mean, I don't want to be grandiose, but there it is. <laughs> no, not at all. And I think I totally agree that it feels like a natural development for Buddhist geeks itself and almost like a, a Zen koan. What do you get when you put 200 Buddhist geeks in a room together? Because often when, even if we do find people who are sort of in our own peer group and interested in the same kind of things as us in a Buddhist context or a meditation context, often we meet very much around formal practice. Yes. And so most of our conversations are around that, around the sort of community. Whilst there will be occasion to have the conversations about the bigger picture or how all this stuff docks in society and how it relates to technology and the wider issues of the culture, doing a specific conference around that feels really, really important as a putting your hand up and saying this is a really important issue. There's some really powerful conversations to be had. Mm. And so let's have them. Yeah, absolutely. And the cool thing, too, is that we're going to be recording these things and then hopefully they'll find their way out back into the larger community and culture and so that there's this feedback loop between the, the local in-person and this sort of digital non-local community. And that to me, there's something about that connection between the, the non-local and the local where if those things really work together and feed off of each other well, I think there can be some amazing uh, changes and feedback loops that come into play. I totally agree. I think the times when online and offline seemed infinitely set apart are over. And I think getting the combination of allowing people to support each other in all different types of media and all different types of way, either in real time, is something that's happening all over the place. And I think 
this is a good opportunity to explore that further. Yeah, absolutely. So in that sense, I mean, I see Buddhist geeks riding the wave of technology where those two worlds, like you're saying, are not infinitely set apart anymore. They're actually converging themselves. And who knows in 10, 20, 30 years what it's going to look like. We'll be getting together in a completely digital zendo to practice with one another. I have no idea. It's interesting, though. Indeed. And um, this is an anniversary edition, Vince. But um, I'm afraid I don't have a cake to give you to celebrate. (laughs) But what I would want to do, just to say a really big thank you, because personally, I found Buddhist Geeks to be of unparalleled value in my own practice. It's allowed me to get access to teachers, ideas, conversations that, although I was already embedded in a particular Buddhist tradition, I didn't really have access to in my own terms. And so if it's helped me, it must have helped hundreds and thousands of other people who listen to the podcast and read the magazine content. So I just really wanted to say thank you. You probably do more for the Buddhist world than you know, so I just wanted to recognize that. Mm, Thank you. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.